Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your biz and mindset coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Welcome back to the Spiraling Higher podcast. It is Libra season. Woohoo! So exciting. It's so exciting. I had the most amazing, amazing fall equinox yesterday. I was talking to you on the phone. I was walking (laughs) with my little pistachio croissant donut, and I could just smell the earth turning on its axis away from the sun. I was Mm. loving it. I am really starting to get into this whole seasonal changes and the astrological sign, different seasons. I wasn't really into that before, but yesterday was really special. We kind of both had very chill, I know. slow, just really juicy. We didn't do anything. Well, that's we the thing. Yeah. We were just enjoying being. <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. We both had such slow days yesterday after our three-hour conversation. Yes. <laughs> what did you end up doing? Well, me, I can't even tell you. I literally just live the day in full presence. I journaled a lot. I meditated. I walked by the water, created like a little bit of context. I felt like it. I connected with another friend. Mm. You know, these types of days really do reflect back to me that I'm living the kind of life I want to live. I'm no longer trying to get somewhere other than here. I'm like, this is nice. Mm. Just this day, enjoying my moment. Yeah, I feel like we've both been really releasing the need to have anything other than just the present moment, which is all we have anyway. All we have anyways. You know, we live so much of our life striving, striving, striving. And to be honest, I think that's what a lot of our conversation today is going to be about. And it's so crazy that I mentioned that it's Libra season because we were talking about our guest a little bit ago. And I was saying, I think she must be a Libra. So (laughs) um, we have Eileen coming on the podcast today and she is so amazing, so incredible. But if you follow her on the Lavender Lifestyle YouTube channel or her podcast, the Lavender Podcast, then you know that she is an aesthetic queen, literally. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just down to the thumbnails, which is like everything, right? She is just a queen at curating such beautiful messages, but creating a really beautiful container to deliver those messages. Mm. And I know she's really putting a lot of effort right now into her stationery and all of that. It's so beautiful, so beautiful. So anyways, I just thought this girl has to be a Libra. And then I was like, I wonder if I can look it up because sometimes you can find creators like bios and things on the internet. And so I looked it up and lo and behold, she's a Libra, people. She's a Libra and I'm a Libra rising. And it makes sense that I resonate with her style so much. I think you're totally right that she has such a beautiful aesthetic, but it really feels like her. And I think that's, you know, in content creation, you and I have been talking about this a lot lately, that so many people are trying to create from a space of doing what other people are going to like, you know, but you can tell that her branding, her vibe, her colors are all just true to her. And that's why we like it because it's so her. I know. And I think that's really just the theme with liking any creator or any sort of artist. It's like, we don't want to see you do it the way anyone else does it. We just want you to be uniquely and authentically you. And obviously, she's been doing that for over 10 years. It's so crazy. I mean, I've been following Eileen since, I want to say like 2014, 2015. It's been literally like eight years or something Mm -hmm. like that. So if you're not familiar with our guest, Eileen Sue is a content creator and entrepreneur at Lavender. She empowers people to become their brightest self and create their dream life and has over 1.8 million subscribers on YouTube and has been creating, yes, intentional stationary products like I talked about, most notably the Artist of Life workbook. And so much of our intention that is infused through her work, her stationary company, is really to help people get clear on what is your dream life? 
what is your most successful year? What would that look like? And reverse engineering that. Mm, I don't remember when I started following her, but I heard your podcast with her and started diving back into her content again. And I really love it. I actually didn't know that she started out singing. You told me that. And I actually Mm. went back and stalked some of her singing videos. And she actually sang one of my favorite Tori Kelly songs. So I want to talk to her about that. (laughs) Um, But I'm really curious to just jump into this with her. I think that you and I both have a lot of common threads that are woven into her story as well. So I think that this is going to be a really impactful conversation as it always is. It always is. I was actually on Eileen's podcast in May. I was on the Lavender Lifestyle podcast. And yeah, we just, we've just had such incredibly mirrored journeys. And obviously mm-hmm. you have too, Gina, with, you know, finding self-worth through productivity and constantly trying to prove ourselves to, you know, either parents or society or ourselves. You know, as soon as she got to a certain age, and I'm so excited to talk to her about this, she just started questioning it all. Like, who am I doing this for? And why am I burning myself out? You know, so if you are someone who has struggled with productivity or overachieving, yeah, identifying with it, then I think this conversation is going to be really valuable for you. Mm, I can't wait. Before we dive into the rest of this episode, I have to tell you guys about my newest part of my morning routine. For the past few months, I've been using an incredibly transformational app called open. I've been sleeping better. I've been stressing less and I'm having so much more energy and focus throughout the day. And I've been literally telling all of my friends and family. And so I couldn't wait to bring them to you. Open is a mindfulness app built to transform your life and you'll experience the power of combining breath work, meditation, sound, and movement to strengthen your mind-body connection. My favorite teachers are on this app, and I love that I have them with me anywhere, anytime. And the best part is they usually have classes that are under 10 minutes, so I literally can't not do it. Having a consistent breathwork practice has literally changed my life, and I know it will change yours too. This app is different from all of the other mindfulness apps out there, and I really want you to try it with me. And so you get 30 days free when you visit www.withopen.com slash Sam30. I hope you will experience open for 30 days. Give yourself the opportunity to see how things change when you practice something like this regularly. I'm so excited to see what it does for you. So again, you can join me on open by going to www.withopen.com slash Sam30. Hi, Eileen. Welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. And so we were just telling our listeners in our intro that I've been following you for almost eight years. Wait, I didn't realize that. I didn't know. Yeah, it's at minimum five. But when I started doing the math, I was like, wait, five years ago was 2017. It was definitely before that because I was in university and that was Uh when I graduated. It had to have been, yeah, like seven, eight years. It was actually before you were really into self development and your healing journey. But I've just resonated with you for so long. So it's so incredible Mm. to have you here. That's amazing. Well, Eileen, your podcast and your YouTube are so inspirational to people. I think that people really come to you to get clear on like who they want to be, what life they want to design. And so how did you kind of fall into this space? Because when you first started your YouTube journey, you were just doing music. Yeah, You were just, you were a creator all along, but you weren't the, you know, self-improvement junkie, as I say, that you are today. And so how did you get here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 1.8 million subscribers. It's a story. I feel like there were different eras of my life. So I was, I first heard about YouTube when it was really new. It was like 2007. I was in high school still. And that was kind of the first wave of YouTubers. That was the Michelle. Fun, that was the yes. Wafu. That was mm-hmm. I there was like the era of acoustic music covers on yes. YouTube. I don't know so if true. you remember that yep. era. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like it was so cool for me to be in high school and see people, just like regular everyday people, post videos of them singing, and then like that would get played like on the radio. Yeah. It was crazy back then. I recognized the power of YouTube. And in secret, I started posting videos of myself playing piano and singing because I secretly loved like singing. I never told Mm. any of my friends, right? So it was like a secret hobby of mine in high school. Eventually, people started finding out because they just saw it on, you know, the internet. (laughs) And so YouTube helped me build my confidence because I had to start to admit to my friends like, oh yeah, I like to sing. Like I was so shy back then. I would never 
tell people anything about myself. I don't know. I just had like a big wall and YouTube was my outlet to like express myself. So I went to college. I studied business at USC. You know, music was just a hobby. And during those years, I thought I was going to go into like marketing or entertainment. I I did love media. Like I always loved just Mm -hmm. entertainment and media. So I thought I was going to go work in that industry. And after Mm. doing a few internships, um, actually working in like corporate settings, I realized that I didn't like any of them. And plus, I was just going Mm -hmm. through a lot of stuff in in college. I'm pretty sure I went through like depression. I got fired from a couple internships. I was a mess. I was like a hot mess trying to keep it together. Because up until that point, I was like, (laughs) I know. Up until that point, I was like a high achiever, straight A's. Like I'm going to conquer the world type of attitude. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was a lot. I just had burnout in college. So anyway, I realized like I can't work a nine to five. I can't work in an office setting. Not just that I don't like it. I don't want my boss's job, my boss's boss's job. But also like I couldn't Mm. physically bring myself to wake up and show up to something that I wasn't motivated to do. If I don't have yeah. motivation, I'm not going to do it. And the reason I got fired from like one of them was I just like started showing up later and later and later. And then I just stopped showing up. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even want to go. It's so boring. <laughs> That's who I am. I mean, like I can't force myself to sacrifice and do it, you know? Well, isn't it amazing how like normalized that is, right? It's yes. like just yeah, you're just not supposed to really like what you do and you just kind of like eat it and go. And hopefully if you become courageous enough at some point, you just question that and like you did just not go, right? I was just like, what is the point? Even if I take this job after I graduate, it doesn't even make that much money. And like, I don't know. I don't know. There was just so many cons. And I was like, why are people doing this? I don't know. Something in me like physically wouldn't let me be that like, put your head down and do this path. My body was telling me, no, you have to go figure something else out. (laughs) Well, that's such a sign of your intuition though, because I feel like for most people, I mean, especially we're all Asian women and growing up, it's kind of like we're taught to ignore that, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you just do Mm -hmm. it anyway. Everybody doesn't really like their job. Like do the thing that's stable, do the thing that's going to make your family proud. And so, so many of us just kind of fall into this pattern that's just so automatic. So I love that you were so young, I mean, in college to listen to that call from your body saying, no, I don't want to go. It was kind of my rebellious stage and it wasn't easy. Like I, on the outside, you're like, oh, that's so courageous of you. But when I was going through it, it was really hard because I felt so much judgment coming from my peers. I felt so much Mm. like pushback from my parents and my family. Like, what the heck? You're not getting a job. Like, that's bad. That's wrong. Like, Mm. I don't know. Everyone was telling me like that was wrong. I felt judgment from peers. Like, because after I graduated, I'm like, I'm going to pursue music. (laughs) And and people like, I could feel the judgment, you know, like people are like, you're going to pursue music. You're going to pursue YouTube. And back then, YouTube was not really like a career. It wasn't realistic, right? So I did feel, you know, as a person who was used to being like, she's a good student and this and that to being, oh, she doesn't even have a job. (laughs) You know, that was like, right. Which is like um, your entire identity back then. Right, right. I had to like let go of an identity. I had to learn to let go of what people thought of me in that Mm -hmm. era of my life. So that era after graduation, I decided to, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I decided, okay, I'm just going to try everything that I'm interested in, which was Mm. music. It was, okay, maybe I'll try acting. Maybe I'll want to be a TV host or reporter or something. And so it was like uh, two or three years of just auditioning, performing at small coffee shops. I, you know, from like event, I did perform at like House of Blues, LA. I performed in New York. So, you know, I had a lot of time. So I like wrote produced, recorded my own album. So that was like one of my biggest accomplishments. And that was 2013. So it was a long time ago. But I was really going full force trying to figure it out as a creative. And I was also working part-time doing like marketing for a food festival. And those years, I was kind of a mess. But looking back, I did a lot of cool, fun things. Like I got into the film industry. I made some film friends. I went to do some short films. I like flew to Taiwan to film a short film. Like there was a lot of cool stuff that happened, Mm -hmm. even though I was making no money doing any of it. And throughout those years, I was also reading a lot of self-help books. This is when I dove into how do you find your purpose? What is the meaning Mm -hmm. of life? I was being so existential because I was like, why? Why? I just kept asking why in those years. I think most of my peers were just like, okay, I'm just going to get a job. And they were all busy partying. But I was like literally having like a midlife crisis at the age of like 21. 
<laughs> yeah. But thank so, God, right? Because yeah, that's what led to your exactly. purpose. And there was something I recorded yesterday on my TikTok. And I was saying that if you don't get to the point where things maybe get really bad for you, then you don't question things. And then you mm-hmm. don't live this authentic life. You just live an unquestioned sort of default life, which is that yeah. like, I'm just going to go to work. I'm just going to do what everyone else does. But when you were kind of forced into this, you didn't have any money, you didn't have you didn't know what you were going to do. So you were like, what? Like, what do I do? And so you started looking for answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually I, finding them. Exactly. So that was my soul searching period. Yeah. And throughout this time, I was still doing music. I was still posting like music videos on YouTube. But after a couple years, I think it was after I released my album, I just felt like there was no momentum. It was not moving and growing at the pace that I wanted it to go. And I felt like I started questioning it again, like, is this what mm-hmm. I want to do? What am I doing with my life? What do I really want? And so there was like a kind of second mental breakdown in like beginning of 2014. And that's when I went to like an Ikea. You know, Ikea's have like this cafe area. Have you ever yes. been to Like they like sell meatballs. And- <laughs> yeah, the Swedish anyway. meatballs. Anyway, <laughs> ice cream. Yeah, I really like the vibe of that place. <laughs> that's another story. But anyway, I ended up at Ikea. I journaled there for like hours. <laughs> that was when I realized like, oh my gosh, I I want to start a new YouTube channel. In short, that's like, it, that's the journaling session that led me and gave me the courage to start again with YouTube. Because by that mm. point, I thought I failed at YouTube. I was like, music mm. channel's not growing. Ah. YouTube's not for me. Oh, there was a couple months where I was like, maybe I should start an app, be like a tech entrepreneur or something. Like, I don't know. Mm. It was like, um, and like an affirmations app sort of thing. Yeah, so... I realized deep down that it was still my dream to like be a YouTuber because I watched so many YouTubers. I watched all these like, it was mostly fashion, beauty, lifestyle girls like Michelle Phan. And I was like, I envy their life. So something called me and drove me back to YouTube. And I realized like, even though my life has been, you know, so random the past few years, I learned so much. I learned Mm -hmm. that you don't have to follow the traditional path to enjoy your life. Like I had so much fun meeting random people, doing creative things. And I was like, this is so awesome. This is where I came up with the concept, like life is an art, make it your masterpiece. Um, If you follow Lavender, I always talk about being an artist of life. And my definition of that is like, you are the creator. You have the power to design every aspect of your life from like the micro to the macro, right? From Mm. your habits every day, your morning routine, evening routine, you can design that. And from the bigger picture, you can design how you spend your life, like what career you go into and all the big things. And that's the idea that really inspired me. And, you know, what I was doing as I was soul searching, as I was figuring out how do I design the life that I love, because I knew working in a corporate setting was not what I loved. And so I was on that journey. So Lavender launched with that concept, the artist of life concept. And it was really my way of sharing everything I learned up to that point in my life. And it literally documented my journey, like creating my dream life. Mm. Um, so that's the story of Lavender. And and really, Lavender is a part of my dream life because like I said, I, it was my dream to be a YouTuber. It was my dream to like have my own business and have the freedom. I wanted the most like creative freedom, time freedom, and location freedom. Those three things. Yeah. Like I didn't want to have a schedule every day. I didn't want to have to go to a single place to work. I wanted to be able to travel more than the average person. Yeah. I think the way I lived my life at that point, like I knew all the big things, but I didn't know how to get there. I was like, how am I going to make money so that I can travel? So that I can, you know, all these things. And then YouTube, that business model just seemed like it fits everything that I wanted in my dream life, if that makes sense. Mm. What I love about your journey, though, what I'm hearing is that you just kind of experienced life. And as life was happening for you, you just kind of sifted and sorted what you wanted more of and what you didn't want anymore. And it kind of I'm just feels like a trial like, and error kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Which I think a lot of people need to hear because yeah. I think sometimes, you know, with the YouTube example, a lot of people would just think, okay, scrap YouTube, that's not working. But you didn't say scrap YouTube. You mm-hmm. just said, I want the YouTube, but maybe with a different context. And so you yeah. again kept the things that you wanted instead of just kind of giving up all of it, which I think a lot of people geared towards doing when they feel like like it's not working. They just think, okay, yeah. I guess I just suck at this. But I love that you kind of kept on 
keeping with you what you loved about it and then kept on transforming to really be the artist of your life. Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up is I realized that a music YouTube channel wasn't sustainable. It was hard to grow, right? You guys know the key to growing online is like consistency. But when you're trying to produce a music video each week versus like just a vlog, it's so much easier to do a vlog because a music video has so many more parts. You have to record, mix the music. I don't know. There's a lot more work that goes into like the music channel from my perspective back then. And so Lavender, there was a lot of parts that went into that decision. Like because I was watching all these YouTubers, I also noticed that no one my age was talking about personal growth or spirituality Mm. on YouTube at that time. I saw the gap. Like the only people talking about spirituality were the very spiritual, very woo-woo people. But I wanted to get like, it wasn't only spirituality. It was more about like how to figure out what to do with your life. As a young person in their 20s, it was more, I wanted to merge like personal growth with the lifestyle style of content on YouTube. And I think I kind of created like a new category basically at that time. totally did. You did. You literally created a category that I would consider ourselves to be in now. Because like now it's like a whole mainstream thing, like self-care. And back then self-care and self-love were not topics that people People talked about online. No. It was well, I think right? they were still seen as like selfish and mm-hmm. like, you know, almost weak. And now it's really necessary. And I mean, there were so many things that you said. And I actually want to go back to your journey and how it was just this beautiful time of fun and like not really knowing what was next. I actually remember I cried, Eileen, when I watched your 20s to 30 video. Oh, it was you. like the journey from 20s into your 30s. I love because that you video. Really, I it's love like, that video. I spent so much time editing it. And it just is so meaningful to me because I get to look back at 10 years so of my I life. I want everyone in the world to watch that video because it really shows that you don't need to know how it's going to work out. The two things that really stand out to me in your journey are courage and consistency. Mm. I love that. Thank you. It wasn't about having a plan and like knowing how YouTube was going to turn out. It was like, no, this is what I want. and I'm going to be courageous enough to show up, start over a whole new mm-hmm. channel. Yeah. Right. I'm creating a whole new persona. Yeah. I'm like making up the name Lavender yep. and like who knows what's going to be on it, but I'm going to show up consistently. I'm going to do it with courage. And there's a quote actually by Terrence McKenna, and it's that nature loves courage. Mm. And that when you jump with courage, you think you're going to land in like this abyss, but it's really just like a bed of feathers. And like, there's so many opportunities waiting for you as long as you're willing to take that step. And so that really resonates with me that you just showed up every day. You did it just with reckless abandon. Yeah. And I learned that lesson from my previous channel because I wasn't consistent. I would post once every other month, every three months. And so I knew like with this new channel, let me post every week on a Wednesday. And so I forced myself to like follow that consistency for at least like a year. I think I did it for two or three years, like never missing a week. Right. And that's really like the key Mm -hmm. to it working. And I think obviously consistency is such an important and integral part to growing a business, but there also becomes a dark side of this too, where you're almost like identifying now mm-hmm. with the results of that consistency. And so yeah. I wonder like at what point, obviously you're being consistent week after week, but like at what point did you start kind of facing another breakdown again, right? Because there was, yeah. I'm sure a moment where you were like, this is unsustainable, like, yeah. right? Because when you think about content creation, you know, I think of like TV shows, there's seasons, mm-hmm. they take breaks. You don't just record a scene every single day. But when you're a content creator, there's kind of no end to it. And it's like, oh, if you might become irrelevant, if you stop posting. And so, you know, when did you kind of start realizing, oh, my identity now is like within the consistency? And how did you create a more, I guess, healthy relationship with content creation? Because I don't want people to think that, you know, now their entire identity is, oh, I always post every day. If I don't post every day, well, then, you know, your ego, right, is kind of like Mm -hmm. saying what's going to happen. And it could be like a fear-based thing. So how do we ensure that we can be consistent, but in a really loving way? Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up. I started like burning out and breaking down in like 2019. So I started like spring 2014. You know, back then YouTube was more casual. It was almost like TikTok now. Because if I look back at my videos in 2014, they were only like three minutes long. They were super, Mm -hmm. it was just no production. Me sitting there talking to the camera, three minutes long. And then over the years, if you notice, YouTube videos got longer and longer and then they became more produced. And so there was more effort as the years went on. So I think the first year it was more like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. Let me just record something for five (laughs) minutes and then just post anything, even if it's bad. That was my first year. It was more like a lesson in Mm self-discipline. And then after that, you know, 
I think the first few years, I really like just put my head down and hustled really hard. But it was not healthy, obviously. But I just had a goal and I just worked really hard. And my YouTube didn't really start picking up until two years after I started posting. So in 2016 was kind of the year things started picking up and money started trickling in, small brand deals and stuff like that. And then by 2018, I felt like that was my successful year where I was making like good enough money from YouTube. And so yeah, 2019 was the first year I started slowing down because I got really tired of that schedule and the pressure to show up. And then I also, by then I experienced some ups and downs with like the YouTube algorithm. Because when you're Mm. a YouTube channel, this is any social media app, but like you just create, 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 create. And then somehow like a piece of content picks up. And then your channel, everything gets picked up. And then you feel like, oh my God, I'm so successful. And then it's your first time. So you think it's going to be linear. You think it's yeah, just going to keep going you're getting at attached. Yes, you're getting attached to the thrill of the success. And then inevitably, things will drop because the algorithm, you don't really know if it's going to continue pushing your stuff, right? So there will be plateaus and there will even be drops. And then you might have a second wave. And so I experienced that. And I realized at that point, my emotions and my happiness was tied to the views that I was getting. Mm, It's tied to the numbers. It's tied to the analytics. And sometimes I would even get obsessive. Like there's a website called Social Blade where you can like look at your channel analytics. You can compare it to other channels. And then sometimes it was kind of my form of procrastination. I would just look on that and like just stare at the numbers, compare all. I don't know. (laughs) It was not healthy. And I recognized that in 2019, I was like, this is so dumb. I started this career because I wanted freedom. And now I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. Like I can't stop. Yeah. Right. I was like, this is so stupid. I make my own money. I have all this freedom and yet I feel trapped. So Mm. 2019 was the year I was like, okay, I'm going to not stick to my schedule. And that was terrifying as a creator because you know, if you stop posting, things are going to fall. Your numbers are going to fall. People won't come back if you take a break. You know, that's just the truth of it. And so you have to learn to accept that and move through it because your mental health is more important than your success. Um, Mm. So 2019 was a slowing down year. I posted a lot less. For the longest time, I wanted to travel and work from abroad. And the whole point of me like I told you, one of my goals was to be able to work right. from anywhere I wanted. And and then you achieve that. Well, it's more like up until that point, I was so busy that I didn't have time to like, I guess, reach for that dream. Well, it was also like, I didn't feel like I had enough money to do that. Mm. So anyway, 2019 was the year I was like, I have enough money. It's all mental, but I was like, I have enough that I could take a break. I could travel. So I decided to go on a solo trip to Bali. So I went to Bali for three weeks solo. And then after that, I spent like two and a half weeks in China with a friend. But that Bali trip, it was really healing for me because it was the first time that I started healing, just trying different modalities outside of yoga, meditation, and journaling. Because up until that point, I did those three things. I felt like a lot of my healing was like mental. I'm really good at asking questions and journaling the response to understand. Intellectualizing. Yes, mental. When I went to Bali, I discovered breath work. I did like a couple breath work workshops. I tried ecstatic dance. I loved it. I love it. Loved it. Tapping into more of that spiritual community where they just have all these different healing modalities. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I really got to take a break from my life here. And I was by myself. So I had a lot of self-reflection time. (laughs) Breath work was, and that whole experience was kind of like, an entry to recognize how much like self-worth issues I still had within me. Like meaning like I didn't feel loved. So much of what I did, so much of me chasing success was me chasing the love and approval from my parents, specifically my dad. Yeah. This whole time I was pursuing YouTube music and Lavender, like I did not get support from my family. Like they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really hard those early years because I felt like I had to like prove them wrong. I have to prove to everyone that I can do it. So yeah, I just remember like during breathwork, I like broke down. I was like sobbing. And afterwards, I was just sitting at night. Like I had a, I, I rented like a small villa with like a pool, a communal pool. I was just sitting there at night with my feet in the pool, like sobbing. <laughs> and I was like looking at <laughs> pictures from my day, like selfies. I was like, she's so beautiful. Why was I so mean to her? 
I know. You know what I mean? Wait, when you just finally like, feel that first yeah. seed of compassion, oh you just God. break open. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So actually, Eileen, as I listen to your story, I'm kind of in shock in how many parallel similarities that we have. I actually pursued music as well. I tried the whole YouTube thing and same thing. I actually never sang in front of people. My parents were super against it. And even my husband, the first time he heard me sing was actually on a YouTube video. <laughs> like I didn't, I was yeah. like, you need to leave while I record this. And when he watched it, I had to like hide. And oh. same as you, because my parents were so against me pursuing what was true to me. I then kind of went completely the other way of like, I'm going to prove you wrong then, or I'm going to prove my worth, or I'm going to gain my approval. And I just looked totally externally for all of this worth and value and validation. And it really turned me into this, yeah, I just got so addicted to that. And I think when it comes to social media, for anyone who's pursuing content creation in any way, it's so hard not to get attached to those metrics because it's so visible. Like you can see, you can measure it, right? And so I just love your whole journey, your whole story. And funnily enough, 2019 was also a very transformative year for me too. Ooh. It was actually my worst year on paper, but the best year because of who I became after yeah. that, that transformation. Yeah. I had those days of just sobbing and crying <laughs> and this realization of how long ultimately you've betrayed yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and how often you turned away from loving yourself and looked outside instead. And so really that 2019 year for me was starting to find that love within. Yeah. And so I would love to hear more about that journey for you of how did you start to find validation within yourself and really release the need to look externally? Like, is that still something you struggle with, with your parents and your family and your peers? Or do you feel like you've healed through that? I feel like I've done so much healing in that area that I feel so much more confident in myself now without needing like approval from others. You know, like mm -hmm. naturally I'm the type of person who's like a people pleaser. So like learning to say no and setting boundaries was huge for me. A big part of that, like seeking approval was like, because my dad was always so disapproving of my path and we didn't have a good relationship growing up, like a very distant relationship where he kind of left the family, kind of didn't talk. We would only see him every three or four years, right? And so wow. even so, he's a very like overbearing, controlling, strict type of parent. I just had so much healing work that I had to do with my dad, a lot of like forgiveness. But I recognized like deep down, a big part of it was like, I wanted him to be in my life. I wanted him to approve of me. I wanted him, it just felt like everything me and my brother did was never good enough for him. Like I got into USC, I got this job. I got like, you know, I would send him updates, but like nothing ever felt good enough. There was always something he was like unhappy about. He's just that type of parent to, that has such mm -hmm. high expectations. Mm -hmm. And so I recognized like I was living my life to just try to be enough for him. And that was really like, I, you know, that's one of the reasons I have that core issue of like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. so uh, healing our relationship. And I mentioned I went to China. He lives in China after Bali. So, so that was a really healing trip for the both of us just to see him and to, you know, kind of get to a point, you know, the older you get, you realize your parent is an imperfect human. Yes. <laughs> and yep. they, you know, they have their traumas as well. And so yes. to get to that point of like understanding and forgiveness, it's like, it was so huge, you know, and mm. I still like get emotional thinking about it. It's very touching for me, but I do feel like I've gotten to a place where I don't need his approval anymore. Really, the ironic part is like in the later years after he heard about the success of Lavender, he's like, oh, <laughs> like he, he, he's like happy about it, you know? But in the beginning, it was such a pushback. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that's a big part of it is like once I let that go, like what else do I have to prove? There's nothing I need to totally. prove to anybody as long as I am happy with myself and the way I'm living. I just need to approve of myself. And that's how I live now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important because I know for me, I was like both of you where I just kept on overachieving and I got all this praise externally. And funnily enough, I actually always had other parents tell me like, your parents must be so proud of you. And I was like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> they've never told me that. And so for me, it was kind of like no matter how much praise I got on the outside, I still felt like shit. Mm -hmm. I still felt like worthless and nothing. And so one of my biggest transformations was when I went to therapy and I was talking about my relationship with my parents because I kind of felt like I wouldn't be able to heal 
until my parents gave me that approval or understood me or really saw me or really loved me. And then I could love myself. And my therapist told me, you don't have to wait for them to transform your relationship. And I was like, I need to get a new therapist because I was like, I don't understand <laughs> yeah. how yeah, you don't. I can change my right. relationship and yes. they don't change. Yeah. But, you know, so much of it was really my interpretation of everything that they said. You know, mm-hmm. they would make a comment and I would make it mean so much worse. And maybe they did mean that, but ultimately I was internalizing a conversation that wasn't even really happening on the outside. Mm-hmm. And so when I went inward first and tried to love myself first, like you said, it does transform the relationship because now when I go, I'm not sitting there expecting or waiting or being frustrated that they're not doing X, Y, Z. You know, I'm just going and it's showing up and it doesn't really matter what they do or say because I'm so rooted in who I am now mm-hmm. and I don't need that approval, which sounds weird as an Asian kid to say that, you know, because we're taught to honor our parents so much that it feels disrespectful, but it's really a form of self-love, like you said, right? Of just really rooting into that unconditional love. And funnily enough, it really did transform my relationship. There was something that shifted in me that softened, I think, my response to my parents. Because every time my mom or dad would say something, I would just kind of have a snarky comment or I'd be kind of shut down. And so I think when I transformed my response to them, it kind of opened up a new pathway for us to exist in our relationship, where as long as I kept operating under that old umbrella, we all stayed the same. Mm-hmm. But then once I changed, it kind of, yeah, opened up a pathway for them to change too. And I mean, yeah. they're not like saying to me, like, we're so proud of you. Honestly, they don't even know I have this podcast. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, they don't even know. But again, it was just like the small changes and shifts, but the biggest shift really had to start with me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the biggest thing that I realized that's powerful is like, you can choose to forgive someone even if they never apologize. You can like... Yes. That whole relationship, it lives in your mind. The story is in your mind. So you can change that story. You can work it out. You can have the conversation in your mind or you can write out the conversation that you want to have and then feel like, oh, that felt good. (laughs) You didn't even need to talk to that person, right? You just work it out yourself. Exactly. Well, that's the crazy thing about healing trauma. You know, when we think about this, we don't go to the past and change what happened to you between, you know, ages four and whatever. You change how you view that situation. Mm -hmm. And so trauma can be healed at any time, right? Because these stories are living in the body. These stories are creating these traumatic and somatic responses, right? And so what's so interesting is you told me when you went to Bali that you started kind of getting out of the mind and moving mm-hmm. in through the body, yeah. right? And I think that's really important to have some sort of somatic practice, right? Because otherwise you just stay in the old story, yeah. right? But as soon as you start to move the energy, then you can kind of go back into the story with a new lens, right? Now that the energy has kind of been expelled, you can kind of look back at that with yeah, like new eyes and yeah. decide how you really want to interpret this, which changes your entire experience of that thing or that person. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a huge topic as well. The fact that I don't think people realize trauma is stored in your body, in different yes. parts of your body. And once you start trying whatever healing modality it is, that brings up the memory so that you can rework them again, whether you need to express yes. the emotion or whether you need to rework the story again. Because there might be things that traumatize you that you don't even realize. Like it's just mm-hmm. there until you give it an opportunity to come out. And then with your mature self, you can deal with it again. Since 2021, actually, it's like I started another type of healing practice where it's called body and brain yoga. It's like based in It's a Korean company, but it's basically based in Eastern like energy healing and Tai Chi. And so there's a lot of different exercises and also like hands-on type of healing stuff that I've been Mm. doing consistently since 2021. I've talked about it on my channel a little bit, but like I'll give you an example, like tapping different parts of your body, your different chakra points. Like for example, your solar plexus is like right under your rib cage, maybe like one to Mm -hmm. two inches under your rib cage. And if you push down on it, you can feel where it's sensitive, right? Mm. That's where where you store a lot of emotion. So if you have like any emotions that have yet to be, you know, expressed or released, it might be really sensitive there. So when I started doing this practice, it was really sensitive. Just like make two fists and like tap it. 
you can even like take a stick and like poke it. That's like one exercise in this practice where you just like tap it, you close your eyes, you're kind of meditating and tapping that area. You're feeling the pain and then you kind of let eventually like memories or things will come up. Emotions will come up. Like literally the first time I did it, I started crying and I didn't even know why I was crying. So there are parts of your body that hold emotion or trauma that's just been like a new thing. I'm like, wow. Even the most basic stuff is if you have like knots in your muscles, that's Mm -hmm. stress. That's emotion that has not been released in a proper way. And over time, these things will really impact your physical body and physical health. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I've been really into is like learning about acupressure points, gua sha on your body, like draining my lymph system because there are things that are stuck, right? Yeah. Well, because people don't realize that they live in a body, Yeah. right? So many people are living in their mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, your mind is within this body. Like everything is expressed by and through this body. Yeah. I mean, I think I told you in our previous interview about how when I first went to to see an acupuncturist, I was like, you know what? Let's just see if this works. Like I went in with very low expectations, but I have a big scar on my hip from when I was in a motorcycle accident as a kid. And it was a really traumatic experience because my brother and I weren't supposed to be riding it at the same time. It wasn't like an actual like Harley motorcycle. It was one of those like smaller sort of like mopeds, but we fell over on it. And instead of like tending to my body, I just went into a crazy fear state where I was like, oh my God, like my parents are going to get so mad that we like were on the moped like together. And that. So I experienced a lot of fear. And I even remember saying like, it's okay. It doesn't hurt. And I was like trying to hide that I'd even been injured. Yeah. And so anyways, this scar healed very poorly because I didn't mm. take care of it. And then when the acupuncturist, she was doing all these needles all over my legs and feet and stuff. And then she saw this scar and she just gasped. And I was like, oh, what? And she said, this is a very bad wound that you sustained here. And I was like, oh, that? Like, no, it's fine. Like I just was in this motorcycle accident when I was a kid. But what's so funny is I went in and she asked me, before we started, what ailments do you have? And I said, um, I'm like pretty okay, but like I just have like a really sore hip. You know, my hip just gets sore if I like walk too long and I feel like I'm just too young to have a sore hip mm-hmm. from walking. And it was that side. Yeah. And then she put the needle in the scar and I literally, it felt like I was gasping for air after being underwater for years. And then I just immediately started shaking and crying. Yeah. And I was so, con- I literally was like, oh my God. I was like, what's happening? I didn't know what was going on. And she mm-hmm. was like, it's okay. It's okay. She's like, the energy is being really Least. She's like, you've obviously stored so much trauma here. And so I'm just releasing the energy. You're yeah. okay. You're okay. Yeah. And I was just amazed because after that session, my hip felt so much more mobile. Wow. And I was like, how long was I just storing this fear and this story just in my hip? And, you know, imagine all the other parts of my body, you know, that can get (laughs) stored. And then, you know, these feelings also have thoughts attached to them too. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes you'll notice when you release trauma from the body, the story also leaves, which is why when you started doing the somatic work, you started to be able to approach these past memories or past relationships with a new perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so wild. It's so gnarly. (laughs) It really is. I mean, I think that we hear so much in the spiritual community, the mind-body connection, but I'm understanding it so much more. I mean, Sam has always been a very active body person. Mm -hmm. I'm not. (laughs) I'm all in my feelings. And, you know, my healing modalities have all been talk, right? Talking therapy or like journaling or like crying to sad music. Mm. I don't really go to my body, but I actually have chronic headaches and migraines Mm. and you know, everybody told me that it was probably from stress, but you get so accustomed to stress. You know, I've actually had doctors tell me that I'm addicted to stress. Mm. You know, everybody used to tell me that my level of normal is everyone else's burnout. <laughs> and it was kind of like a point of like pride Patch for me. Honor. Totally. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I can handle uh. so much. But then really I started to notice when I started to become aware of my headaches and when they were happening, it was always happening right after an argument with my husband mm. or a client saying something that really triggered me. And when I dealt with that first, the emotional pain, the body was able to kind of just release the pain. It was wild. I didn't have to take Advil or, you know, medication for it. It really was releasing the emotional stored trauma. Yeah. Like we're so conditioned to push through that you don't even recognize that you're feeling emotions. And so just getting more in tune with your body and your emotions is like a huge step. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy to me that, you know, what is considered normal in this society is just to not feel, mm-hmm. right? And if you are crying or if you are angry, we view that as like crazy or out mm-hmm. of control, right? When this is just a normal part of the human experience, right? You know, we have these six, seven major human emotions, yet the only ones that are acceptable are just like, content and happiness. And so I think that a lot of people who might be going through depression right now, you know, I'm not saying that you aren't experiencing some sort of chemical imbalance, but a lot of that is being perpetuated by the judgment you have of like certain emotional states, right? Gina and I, we like cry all the time, but we just (laughs) don't make it mean anything. Yeah, (laughs) me too. We don't make it mean anything though. Mm. I mean, I used to, like I used to cry. I think like, what's wrong with me? Like what's happening? I should be able to control this. And then all of that judgment would just kind of like create more of that energy. And then I'd feel, you know, really confused about what to do with this. And then I would suppress it. And then that's what gets lodged. And that's what creates the denseness and that slowness and that, you know, feeling of just blah, right? But if you just allow that emotion to pass through you will feel so much more clear-headed. You will come back to clarity. And I think that it's very important for people to realize that healthy emotions, they're very temporary. I think that if you were to experience an emotion without any resistance, it lasts about like 120 seconds Mm. maximum. Like if you don't resist and you just allow like a full deep cry, you can't even cry that aggressively for more than two minutes at a time. You just (laughs) kind of run out of tears, right? But because we're kind of water skiing on top of our emotions all the time, they never really get dealt with. They just kind of stay stuck. And this is what kind of keeps us in the pattern. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm all for You have to let the emotion move through your body. And even if it's not crying, it could be screaming. It could be singing. It could be dancing. You just got to move it. You got to get it out. Like if you think about kids, like babies and kids are so annoying because they just scream and cry whenever they want to, right? They're loud. (laughs) But that's healthy, right? That's what a healthy human being is. It's just that as we become adults, we're trained to condition that emotion because it disrupts other people. But it's okay. As an adult, you can find your own safe space where you can be like that and express those emotions. You know, containing it doesn't mean like contain it forever. It literally just, you know, find your safe space where you can express. Yeah, definitely. That's one of my goals and intentions for this podcast just in general is to like help people realize and normalize that you have feelings. Yeah, it's okay. They're yeah, beautiful. that's not bad. Exactly. But notice how many women are always apologizing for their feelings, mm-hmm. especially when women have been shamed in the workplace, yeah. right? It's like, oh, there she goes. She's getting upset. And it's like, I'm just emoting. Mm-hmm. Like, geez, <laughs> you know? And I think that there was actually a lot of people in my life who weren't even judging me for emoting. It really was just me judging myself, Mm. right? Because of all that conditioning. And so I think that a lot of people need to really root into, it's okay to have this emotion. It's completely safe. It doesn't mean anything about you. You know, emotions are fleeting. And they also don't need to be logical. I think that's the biggest lesson that I've had. I think that we feel like it's okay to cry when it's justified, when it makes sense, when everybody else thinks it would make sense. But if it doesn't, we're kind of like, oh, I know this is stupid, or I know yeah, I shouldn't be we, crying. We I know down. I should just be grateful. Mm. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I actually have a daughter. She's seven years old. And like you said, kids just emote yeah. and they can't control it. They're just so in the feeling and in the moment, it just comes out. And, you know, instinctually at the beginning, you kind of go like, oh, calm down and you try to give them a toy or you try to give them a distraction. Mm. And once I started to see that, I was like, oh, that's what we do. We're just looking for the next distraction to get us off the topic so we don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But with my daughter, I just let her cry all the way out, all the way up. And then she just calms herself down and she's able to learn that emotional regulation that honestly, I'm learning from her. (laughs) Because Mm. even for me, when I start to have a big emotion, again, the mind comes in and it's like, oh, calm down or you shouldn't act like that. This is stupid. Why are you so upset? You should be able to deal with this. And, you know, really having that same compassion for myself to just let myself feel and have Mm -hmm. that safe container and ultimately being that inner mother that I didn't really have with my own mom, but really stepping in and asking that inner child, what is it that you need? Mm -hmm. And for me, that answer is always, I just want you to love me like as I am and be okay with this. And I've just held space for that inner version of me. And that's been so healing. But for me, I was able to access that so much easier because of my daughter. Yeah, You know, because I was able to see what she needed. It kind of embodied me as that inner child. So I'm curious to know, how did you find that compassion for yourself as you were going through and navigating through this healing journey? Like, how did you release that judgment that you were feeling on the outside? 
I don't know if I ever judged myself for my feelings. Like I think my issue is slightly different. It's not, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. My issue was more like I never expressed my emotions to the people that I needed to express it to. Mm-hmm. I didn't communicate anything. Like I would just keep everything to myself and cry by myself in a corner. You know, like I would not show my feelings to anybody else. And I think for the longest time, keeping that in was hurting my body. It was like building Mm. up inside. As I got older, I started expressing it, right? Like I would cry to my dad and everything just like starts coming out. Right. Because when I heal, like during my healing sessions, what happens to me is my mouth does this like my nerves tense up. Like there's like physical response. Like contraction. Yeah. Literally like my muscles are so tight. I can't unclamp in my mouth. It's like, and I feel like a lot of tingly in this throat area because I think what I realized that's really mm. important to me is expression. I was always wow. shy. I always kept to myself. Whenever I cried, people would be like, why are you crying? I'd be like, <laughs> I wouldn't say anything. And it just, mm. yeah, yeah. Not feeling understood. Like that's more of my story. I've never mm. been able to keep myself from crying. Like I'm a crier. <laughs> like it's going to come out. Yeah. My family would always be like, oh, it's just Eileen. She's just crying. We don't know why. She's just crying. <laughs> like that's just yeah. what it was. And then to me, I was so like annoyed and frustrated because I couldn't express it. And it was also frustrating because like nobody understood me and why I was crying. And so it was more of like learning to express my feelings and whatever it is I had to express to the people that mm. mattered. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy to me, the polarity of trauma, because trauma is the one thing that separates us and unites us. Yeah. Right. So when you're in this isolation and like no one understands me, like, yeah, why am I so misunderstood? Right. You know, that's how trauma talks. But when you actually begin to open up and create a dialogue with other people about them, I mean, what's so amazing to me is like how similar you and Gina's stories are. <laughs> you know, hers is the same, you know, not being able to express herself, like feeling the throat closing mm. and, you know, not feeling accepted by her parents. Right doing everything for self-worth, you know, this is all trauma. Before you talk about it and start that dialogue, you really think it's just you. And you think something's wrong with you. Yeah, you feel so alone. You feel so alone. Mm -hmm. That's the crazy irony of all of this is that like you're literally not. Like Mm -hmm. literally so many people are like this. This is the thing that really connects you. It really shows your humanity. Like trauma is the thing that really makes me realize, oh my gosh, like I'm actually not even unique. (laughs) That's what my trauma journey has made me realize because I thought it was just me. Yeah, I know. And then I'm like, wait, it's all of us. Yeah. 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 You'd be more alone if you didn't have trauma. That's the crazy thing, right? Yeah. I almost think no matter how good your upbringing is or no matter what it is, like you're going to have trauma in your life because it's like all subjective. Even if you have like amazing parents, you're still going to be traumatized by that one little like mishap that happened. Or maybe like totally. it might seem like minuscule to someone who has like an intense story, but it's pain is pain. Emotion is emotion. You can't like compare one person sadness to another person's sadness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the point of life to experience all these emotions. Um, yeah. yeah, you yes. can't live life without trauma, without feelings. Well, that's the thing. You can't live without trauma because you can't get rid of your feelings, Mm -hmm. right? And trauma is really just stuck on processed feelings. And, you know, when I started working with an emotional freedom technique practitioner, like with tapping, right? A lot of my judgments before we got started was, I don't even know why I'm feeling like this, though. Like, nothing's going on right now. And he was like, I think you need to realize that your body makes no distinction between what is real, what Mm -hmm. is not. You know, there might have been a story from your past that happened 10 years ago. But, you know, every time that gets activated, although you logically think it's not a big deal to your brain, it might as well be like a tiger walking (laughs) in the environment that you're trying to avoid. Right. It doesn't know. So, you know, what your body is reacting to. That's why it's so important that Gina said the story like doesn't really matter. Right. Or it doesn't have to sound logical. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to intellectualize, like you said, at the beginning of your healing journey or rather before you got started, you know, being in the mind about it and thinking like, why did this happen? And like, oh, I'm going to think about this, right? That doesn't really get the emotion in and through your body. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of rely on that sort of somatic work. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the mind stuff does help, but it can only do so much because you Mm -hmm. do have to integrate your entire body into it. And then I just had this idea that trauma is not necessarily like emotional relationship stories either. It could be like if you have a fear of heights or if you hate spiders, that's a trauma as well, right? Yeah. There's something that happened to you where your body had a stress response and then it continues to have a stress response whenever that thing happens. Exactly. And people just like accept it as who they are, but they don't realize it's something you can heal too if you want to. 
hundred percent. And something that I want to start talking about now is that, you know, I think that people are so hard on themselves because they think that, well, if I'm not hard on myself, then I won't be successful. Mm -hmm. Like I need to be mean to myself. I need to, you know, set these crazy goals and strive so hard. But what's so ironic is that what I've witnessed in me and Gina and you is that actually after you go on the healing journey, after you begin to root into self-acceptance and love, everything flourishes. Yeah. And so this is actually a myth that like if you are easier on yourself, if you do forgive yourself, if you do go on this healing journey and become softer with yourself, that your business or whatever sort of aspiration you have, they're not going to fall away. You're not going to like become this like lazy couch potato. Mm -hmm. You become actually a much more inspired embodied version of yourself. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about kind of how you approached business before healing Mm -hmm. and how your approach to business and really the results of your business have changed since healing. Mm. Yeah. Um, So how I approached it before was I have to make it no matter what. Let me prove them wrong. So I had a lot of energy to work really hard because, I mean, number one, I did enjoy what I do. I was like, this is the path to my dream life. And number two is like, I just, you know, I had that like, it was negative, spiteful energy almost. Mm. And that carried me for a few years. And then once after I started healing, I started becoming more compassionate with myself. I was like, why are you angry at yourself for not being productive? Like I used to be like, oh, every day has to be productive, da, 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 da. And then I started being more gentle with myself and more loving. Like, it's okay. Everything is okay. If you're not productive today, it's okay. And what's funny is like, I think there's like a spectrum where you kind of have to experience both extremes to find where your middle is. Meaning there was a period of time where I became a couch potato because I was too easy on myself. I was like, I I could do whatever I want. I don't have to work today. And maybe I needed that. I think I needed a lot of rest and a lot of doing nothing. Yes. A lot of my videos in the past year, I talked about doing nothing. I just needed to yeah. do nothing. That was how we connected. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so I think I had, because I was like so burnt out, I had to go to the other extreme where I was not productive at all. I had to just, you know, spend time following my intuition. Like, what do I feel like today? I don't feel like, I don't mm. have energy today. So let me just sit down and watch Netflix. You know, I had to let myself be that gentle and that soft with myself and learn to not feel bad about myself doing that. And it's always like a a journey. It's not easy. But I think now I've gotten to a better place of balance where I want my days and my work to be filled with joy and fueled Mm. by joy. Everything I do has to make me happy. I want to feel inspired. I want to feel flow when I'm working. And luckily I do feel flow when I'm creating. Like I still love creating and making videos. Before a while, I was like, do I want to quit YouTube? Like, do I want to do, do I want to not work? Do I want to, you know, I asked all those questions because you have to. Yes. So I was exploring that, but I call that my flirting with like going off the grid phase where you're like, maybe, maybe I'll just (laughs) delete everything and sell all my stuff and just, you know, as an influencer, like how nice would it be to not have Instagram and to, you know, Yes. (laughs) Um, But eventually you find your place of balance and it's different for everyone. But Mm. you find a place of balance where it feels good, where you're like, okay, I felt proud of the work I did today. I worked four hours and I feel proud. Now I can do something else. And I love that my life now is not just, I used to prioritize work as number one. I used to work like, I don't know, 12, 16 hour days. And now it's like everything is more balanced. I give more time to my health, more time to personal stuff, self-care, relationships. So yeah, work is not always my number one priority. That's something that I had to shift in my mind. It took some time being okay with it, being like, okay, if it's not my number one priority, I have to be okay with it not being super successful on the outside because I'm giving more of my time and effort to other areas of my life that I've neglected for so long. Yeah. Right. Well, Tony Robbins, one of my favorite quotes from him is, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Mm. And I so think true. so many people don't know that and they're just kind of chasing the success. And that's why it's never ending because you're not fulfilled, but you're really doing the opposite, which Sam and I are also really rooting into as well, which is like focusing on joy first. Yeah. Because otherwise, what is the point? Yeah. What is the point? I mean, something that we talked about, Eileen, in our previous interview was this sort of dichotomy of invisible versus visible assets, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of people who are like, I'm going to get the visible assets, mm-hmm. the successful business, yeah. the house, the car, the whatever. And I'm like, are you successful if you've given up all of your joy, your passion, yeah. your creativity, and your health for that? Yeah. Right? You know, 
money means absolutely nothing if you don't have like your peace of mind, exactly. if you don't have the health and vitality in your body. And so I think that one of the things you can focus on now really is peace of mind mm-hmm. in your body. Like you have those now and imagine how you could reverse engineer this process, like go from the inside out, like focus on these invisible assets mm-hmm. and then add in the visible assets to your life because really those have no value mm-hmm. if you don't have yourself, if you don't yeah. have these invisible joys. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I love what you said about that it shifted. You had to kind of experience both extremes yeah. of working like crazy, but also just doing nothing and being a potato mm-hmm. and then finding that balance in between. And I really think that that's also going to ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. I think there's seasons of our life. I think there's times where we are building and we are kind of creating. And then there's times where we're like just in the background, sharpening our tools, yeah. getting ready for the next season. Yeah. And I think it really requires that deep knowing of ourselves. And that's why the healing journey is so important to really get to know who you are and what do you want out of this life. And that's why I just love your concept of designing that and also knowing that it doesn't stay static. Yeah, It's going to ebb and flow. And so if one yep. day you kind of feel like being lazy, do it. And if the next day you're ready to go, then go for it. Yeah. And just really listening because it's a lot like raising a child, right? Children are not robotic. They don't do the same thing every day. They don't have have the same energy every day. You know, some days are going to be super cranky. Some days are going to have a ton of energy jumping around. And so really just honoring where you're at for that day. And I just love how you've ultimately redefined what success is for you, which is joy. Mm-hmm. And that is the same thing I told Sam. I said, for me now, a successful day looks like, do I like myself? Yeah. Did I have fun? And am I leading with joy yeah. versus leading with ego? And so really just tuning into yourself has been very instrumental in me finding more joy. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the funny thing is, is that it's the most successful that all of us really have ever been. And it's not because of the metrics, but really the person that I've become. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yes. I feel like we're just all going back to being kids. <laughs> like, I think that's yeah. the whole you know? point of it. It's like, yeah, honor the inner child, embrace that person. That's who you truly are. So true. You know, mm. when your kid comes home from school, you're like, did you have fun today? It's like, <laughs> it's not like, how much money did you make? It's like, <laughs> totally. And then it turns into that, I guess, when you become like, you know, a middle schooler or a high schooler. And so we get really disillusioned. But like at the end of the day, like I truly think the most successful people are the ones who are authentically living in alignment with who they are and enjoying yeah. themselves mm-hmm. and creating value for people at the same time. And so, you know, Eileen, you're such a beautiful example of that. You're really being who you are, right? The beautiful Libra queen <laughs> and yes. creating value <laughs> that you enjoy creating yeah. and it helps other people. I mean, how could it get better than that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Gina, do you want to ask our beautiful guest our final question? (laughs) So we always ask this question at the end of every episode. We would love to know what's one recurring lesson or a theme in your life that has kind of come up over and over that you've had to spiral through because Sam and I each have our common threads that, you know, healing is as an upward spiral. Mm -hmm. So is there a common theme that you've seen come up over and over in your life that you're constantly healing through? Oh yeah, I think I already mentioned it. It was just that deep inner belief that I'm not enough. And I think that's something that constantly comes back. Once I think I healed it, I find another angle where Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, do I still feel that way? (laughs) Why? And then I dig deeper and deeper. And yeah, I feel like that's a spiral because it's a very common theme in not just in work, in relationship, in just different Mm -hmm. facets of my life is I notice that is one thing that does trigger me pretty often, Mm. like more often than other things. It's all about the self-worth. So big part of my life journey is learning to feel completely worthy, completely okay and loving myself no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get out of that? Because honestly, mine is the same as yours. Mm. It's really self-worth. I mean, honestly, like two days ago, I told Sam maybe that I just said, I know we're all worthy. I just don't think I am. Oh, no. You know, like I I know I should love myself and I know it's there, but there are some days I just don't feel it. I don't see it. I just think I'm worthless. I'm not good at anything. And maybe I should just accept that I'm going to suck all the time. You know, I kind of go through those seasons, but when you're feeling that what are some of the practices that you do to kind of bring yourself back to that self-love? Yeah. Journaling is a big tool. Like if I ever notice something that triggers me, I journal. Like, why do I feel this way? Where does it come from? Mm. Like, what do I really believe? Because for me, I, there is a part of myself that does believe in myself and does love myself. So it's like a conversation right. between those two people within me. Mm, and then so affirmations are huge as well because I, you know, I repeat affirmations before I go to sleep or sometimes I'll repeat. It's like the manifesting techniques come into play with 
like some like mirror work, like looking mm. into the mirror, smiling at yourself. I work out in front of mm. the mirror and I'm like, you're doing amazing. <laughs> like, look at you. You're so oh, hot. I love that. <laughs> like, I'm like, you wow. showed up today. I'm like, I look good, you know? So <laughs> you have to like boost yourself up, be your own hype girl. And it's funny because like I noticed how much more self-love I have for myself. I'll look back at older photos and I'm like, I was so cute. Oh, I, I remember being so insecure oh. about this. Like I didn't want to post this because I was so insecure. I was like, this, this was so cute, you know? Mm. So it's just being able to recognize how amazing you are and, and celebrate yourself and your accomplishments. Mm. Every that. time I see an old photo of myself <laughs> that I once thought was so ugly, I'm like, oh my God, you're such an idiot. Yeah. Like, you were so adorable. Yeah. Like even the photos where I am like on the chunkier side, I wasn't like ever, you know, fat, but I had like a chunkier face or like my face was just fuller. And I just remember having a lot of like, you know, eating disorders. And I just remember looking at these photos and I was like, what? Like you were fine. Yeah. Like you were fine. Yeah. And so sometimes I call upon, you know, the future version of me mm. looking at me now. And, and she has that tone. She's just like, you're fine, babe. Mm, like, yeah, you're fine. Exactly. Like, just love this part. And, you know, one of the things I think all of us regret when we look back is like, I just wish I let myself be happier. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was I so worried about? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what's actually one thing that you would tell your younger self if you could? Oh my gosh. It's stop caring so much about everything. Stop worrying so much about everything. Everything is going to turn out amazing. So just enjoy your life. Literally enjoy your youth. <laughs> Have fun. Um, hang out with your friends more. <laughs> you know, just, just enjoy life with those simple things. Mm, I love that. I needed to hear that today too. Yeah. <laughs> I just wrote that down. Everything is going to turn out amazing. So just enjoy your life. Yeah. Like if you know the end, if you truly believe that everything's going to work out and it's going to be amazing in the end, which it will be, everything always does work out then you can enjoy Always. the journey getting there. I think the anxiety mm. and the worry and the fear of during that journey is because you don't believe. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like you think it's going to all go downhill. You think it's going to go wrong. But if you just learn to like have that faith and trust, like it'll be okay. Because look back, like everything's, everything does work out in its own way. So just trust. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's such a beautiful message. I feel like I need to remind myself that. I know. I, I do have some pretty good affirmations, but that one just, I don't know, just hit. Yeah. I was like, wait, everything is going to work out. So yeah. just enjoy. Right. Like just set your intentions and go forth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Well, Eileen, I know you recently created a, I think a planner mm, or a journal. Yes. So where can listeners find it? Is that the one where they can design their systems yes. and dream life? Yes. So I have a shop. You can find it at shop.lavendare.com. I have a bunch of like stationary products, intentional stationary, but the biggest one that I want to talk about is the Artist of Life workbook. And that is basically like your guide for creating your most inspiring, successful year where there's like self-reflection prompts. There's planning your goals for the new year. And it kind of breaks down, you know, how to break down your goals from like quarterly to monthly. And there's like so much, there's like habit trackers and exercises to overcome mm. fear. It's basically all the personal growth exercises that I used in my own life and journaling sessions I put into this like workbook to just guide you oh through gosh. the year. So I need yeah. that. <laughs> the Artist of Life workbook. And then you can check out everything else because we just launched like a new, it's actually called the Five Minute Joy Journal, which is like a simple mm. five minutes a day, one page where you just like, it helps you remind yourself to focus on the joy every day. Mm. Which is always in your power, yeah. right? Yep. We don't have power over the circumstances, but we can always choose to focus on a joyous thing mm -hmm. for five minutes. Yeah. Mm. So thank you. Thank you so much for creating that. Thank you so much for being thank yourself. You. Obviously, you are a Libra baby. So that journal is going to be absolutely stunning, <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> thank you. And I just love that by you just being you, Eileen, you have impacted so many people. I mean, I'm just one out of literally, mm. who knows, 2 million, 3 million. You know, there's probably so many people who don't even technically follow you, but have been impacted by your message. Yeah. And so thank you for healing yourself, being yourself. <laughs> and for creating value thank you for all so these much. people on the planet Earth. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. Here's to spiraling higher.